I want to welcome Brother Hurst this morning. Didn't he sound good on the organ? I enjoyed that. And we want to get right back into the Word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you for worshiping. And uh, we're going to pick up on the series that we began last week called uh, Satisfaction Guaranteed. And uh, you'll have to pardon. There's just a little bit of uh, sarcasm there. And uh, we, we all want that guarantees that we're going to be happy and we're going to do this and it'll make us better. But I, I'm giving us some guarantees that if you do these things, you're guaranteed to be miserable and unhappy. Doesn't that sound, doesn't that sound good? Amen. So probably it'd be a good idea to avoid these things is really what we're saying. And, uh, and last week we began with uh, a study of how God gives us power. How many believes the Holy Ghost gives us power? And a sound mind gives us self-control, and we have to exercise that self-control. Someone said, praise the Lord. We have a responsibility, and uh, a changed mind equals a changed uh, heart or changed actions. Can you say praise the Lord? And then we looked at the, we began the habits of miserable people. Number one, we said, constantly worry about money, and all the wives, don't look at your husband and say amen. Give yourself a negative identity. We covered that. Uh, be angry all the time. Doesn't that sound like a good way to be? Uh, assume everyone has bad intentions and do everything for personal gain. We talked about that for a while. And then we, uh, we uh, wound up on avoiding gratitude. And uh, the Bible teaches us that we should be a grateful people. How many want to have an attitude of gratitude? And one of the things that I found is that some of the most uh, miserable people that I know are people that do not cultivate a spirit of gratitude in their life. And it can be easy to become an ungrateful person. You can, here's one of the ways we justify a lack of gratitude. People can do things for us, or God can do things for us, and we can cultivate an attitude in our life where we say, well, they could have done more, or... Or uh, I deserved it anyway. Or, and all of these ways that we justify having an ungrateful spirit in our life. But the Bible says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning... And point that big finger at yourself, concerning me, concerning you. And so in every circumstance, in every situation in life, we have to find a way to give thanks and to be grateful. Can I just say, I know this is old-fashioned teaching right now, but, but if God never does anything for you but save your soul, He's done more than we deserve. Can I get somebody to say amen? If He never does anything but save us from hell, then He has done more than this old boy here today deserves. And I am thankful for the grace and the mercy and the cross of Calvary today. And I know you are as well. But, but we can, it's sometimes easy for us to be thankful for the big things. But we ought to cultivate an attitude of gratitude when it comes to small things as well. Be grateful that somebody cares about you. Be grateful that somebody took time for you. Be grateful that somebody did something for you. And, and you will be amazed at the joy that you will find in your life when you can, when you can be grateful for things. And people will return that as well. Everyone said amen. 
All right, here's, now here's another guarantee. Now, I've, I've, I've stamped all of these. Can you see this? This is my stamp of, a, of 100% your money back. Uh, there's a lifetime guarantee on this. It never expires. It never goes away. If you do this, you're absolutely, positively, 100% guaranteed to be unhappy and miserable. Now, if you want to be happy and you want to smile and you want to have joy, don't do this, all right? But if you want to be miserable, always, 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 always expect the worst about everything. If you, if you believe your marriage is going to flounder, your children won't love you, your business is going to fail, nothing good will ever work out for you, you are guaranteed to be absolutely miserable and unhappy. Now here's a quote I came across from Winston Churchill. You know, Winston Churchill was was kind of a, an eternal optimist even in one of the darkest times in all of history during World War, uh, during the, the Great World War. And he said this, he says, A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, and an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, but an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Amen. Uh, another person said this. This is an old saying, but I like it. It says, if you expect the worst, you'll never be disappointed. I like that. That's true, isn't it? If you're always expecting, if you're looking for it, you know what happens? When we expect the worst, we create it. Somehow we find a way to make that happen. One person called it a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, I want us to look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 25. It's behind me, kind of a lengthy portion of Scripture, uh, but... Let's look at what Jesus had to say about this. He said, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature. And why take ye thought for raiment? Now, if I could add one inch to my stature by thinking about it, I would have done it by now. Amen. But we can't think about it and worry about it. We won't. There, how many know there's some things that all the worry in the world will never change? All the worry in the world, it's not going to change anything. And why take ye thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin? And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles see. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all of these things. How many know that God knows about your every need? God already knows about, about the things that you have need of. He also knows about your desires. He knows about the things that you would like to have. And He cares about those things. But, and here's what He says. But seek ye first. Isn't that good? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto 
you. And so if we'll put God's kingdom first, he'll take care of our needs. If we'll put God's needs first, he'll take care of our needs. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Can I just boil that that lengthy passage of scripture down? All of those were the words of Jesus, by the way. How many notice how strong Jesus could be sometimes? You know, if preachers were as strong as Jesus was, they, we'd have a hard time. We'd have people mad at us all the time. Jesus was very strong sometimes. And, but here, if I could boil all of that down, here's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, don't worry. God's got it. Don't. Can I preach that to somebody for just a minute? Don't worry about tomorrow because God holds tomorrow in the palm of his hand. You don't, you don't have to worry about how all of these things are going to take shape because all of your worry is not going to change it. You know what we ought to have? We ought to have faith. Even if we can only muster up just the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, just get a little bit of faith and say, I know that God has it in control. Everything's going to be all right because God already knows about it. You know, they say I heard this years ago, and, uh, and by the way, if I could just be honest with you, and my wife, if she were in here and if she weren't teaching Sunday school, she'd, she'd testify and she would tell you that this is an area that I have to submit myself to God because I, by nature, I'm a worrier, and that's the smith in me. Praise the Lord. It's not the French, but it's the smith in me. And, uh, and that's not an insult. We all know that's true, don't we? Praise the Lord. My, my, my grandpa Smith is one of the finest men you'll ever meet in the whole world. But, and he'll even tell you, I was up all night long worried about that. He'll tell you that sometimes. And then he'll pray and he'll be all right. But, but that's the nature. That's the Smith nature. And I got that. And, uh, and I have to constantly submit that part of my personality, that part of my character to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I, I'm not going to lay awake here all night worried about that because it's not going to change anything anyway. But I remember years ago, now, my Grandpa Smith, he's a worrier, oh my goodness, but now Grandma Smith, one of the sweetest ladies you'll ever meet in your entire life. She's been here before, many of you have met her. She has faith, I mean faith in, I mean it can be, the, the, the semi-truck can be coming right at the car and all hope is lost and she's going to be saying thank you Jesus. That's just how she is. Everything's going to be okay, that's how she is. And I appreciated about that about her when I was young because every time I was fearful and you know spending the first six years of your life in a hospital will cultivate either faith or fear in your life and you have to constantly choose am i going to be faith am i going to have faith even as a child i had to make decisions am i going to have faith or am i going to have fear right now and one of the favorite scriptures we quoted all those many long nights in the hospital rooms with tubes all inside of me we would say for god hath not given us a spirit of fear. I will, from the Psalms, we quote, I will not be afraid. My trust is in the Lord. How many are thankful that the Word of God can comfort you when you're afraid? It can comfort you when you're going through a storm. God's Word is powerful, it's alive. You, you ought to turn to the Word of God in your dark moments and let the Word help you through those times. And I remember my grandma used to, she would always be encouraging. And, uh, and I remember one time she, she came to me when I, when, I was, uh, when I was first married and moved out on my own. 
and she loves to bring uh, articles and Bible verses and newspaper clippings. And she brought me an article by a doctor that said that only one out of every 1,000 fears that we have ever actually happens. That's an amazing statistic, isn't it? They've done studies. One, we worry about for every 999 things that we worry about, we could have, we could have had faith here in those times and let those things go. But how much time have we wasted in fear and worry? Just that one thing. And then they said that one thing is usually not really that big a deal to start with. Amen. How many want to choose faith over fear every time? I want to choose trust in God over, over the fear of the things of this world every single time. And that's really what Jesus was talking about. Okay, I want to go to number eight in the 12 habits of highly miserable people. And amen, you see my, uh, there's my, my guarantee right there. Play the blame game. Could we say that? Play the blame game. I guarantee you, you you'll be miserable if you play the blame game. People usually start the blame game by pointing their finger at their parents for every defect, shortcoming, flaw, and failure in their lives. Now, I do have to blame my height on my parents, but that's about where it stops, right there. I, I, I thought I was going to be six foot for a long time. I was a tall kid. My poor son, he, he's, he's, very, <laughs> he's very short for his age. And we were at the, hearing Brother Huntley preach the other night, and there was a little boy his exact same age. Their birthday was just a few days apart. And that little boy was a good six inches taller than my son. And we were talking about that. But then we got to thinking, you know, when I was my son's age, I was tall for my age. And people thought, boy, he's got that Smith in him. He's going to be six foot one, six foot two. And we all know that didn't happen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. And so there's hope for my son yet. Just because he's short today doesn't mean he will be tomorrow. Amen. But the blame game is a dangerous thing. It, oftentimes we go beyond our parents and then we, we pass that blame on to other people from the past. The, that, that school teacher who yelled at, at us in the cafeteria or that, that boy that, who bullied us when, when, the, when we were nine or that college professor who, who failed us or, or even the town that we grew up in. We can often put the blame there and the possibilities are, are endless. And, and when blamers, notice that I made up a new word. Everyone said blamers. When blamers get married, they, they usually blame their spouse for everything that isn't right in their life. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's somebody else's fault. And and then they blame their boss and their coworkers for every problem and every failure in the workplace. And, and then kids come along, and, and, and we all know that kids bring challenges. They're a great joy, but they bring challenges. And blamers will even blame their children for the difficulty in their life. And, well, I would have been successful if I hadn't had to pause and, and raise my children. And then oftentimes... Blamers take their failures and disappointments and they even blame God. That's the danger of the blame game. Blamers blame everyone and everything except themselves. Playing the blame game is essential in the art of being miserable. Amen. Philippians 3 and 13 says this. I love this. Brethren, 
I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before how many know that we need to reach forward and stop looking back? If you've got failure, if you've got things that pulled you down, it's time to let go of yesterday and say, I'm going to reach for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, and I'm going to take responsibility for my life and my walk with God. Exodus 16, 2 and 3. Now here's, here's a, a classic example of the Old Testament uh, children of God playing the blame game. This was, this was uh, common for the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness. Exodus 16. And the whole congregation, someone said that's the whole church, the whole church, everybody in the congregation of the children of Israel, every single one of them murmured against who? Against the man of God. Against Moses and Aaron. Where? In the wilderness. Everybody was nobody, even the children. Hey, listen, you've got to be careful, parents, because when you begin to murmur against the man of God, your children will catch that spirit, even as a child. And when, oh, hallelujah. And if teenagers get that spirit, they, it will destroy them. It will. They will never recover, even as adults. It will destroy them. Now, that's not to say the man of God doesn't sometimes, sometimes we might have a legitimate, a legitimate issue, but you know what you need to do? Go to the man of God and talk to him about it. Don't murmur behind his back. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the, in the land of Egypt. So they, they came to him, and when we sat by the flesh pot, so now they're thinking about yesterday and all of these things, and, and they're remembering it in a way that wasn't true. They're remembering the past as when they were slaves, when they were beaten, when they were forced to throw their children and drown their own kids, and all they can think about is the food they had to eat. They had a little something to eat. And so we're about to talk about in, that in, the, in a minute, what it means to glorify the past. And when we did eat bread to the full, so we were full, at least we weren't hungry there. We may have had to kill our own children. We may have been beaten. We may have been slaves. We may have been mistreated. But at least we had full bellies in Egypt. That's where they got to. What a dangerous place. And so they're murmuring. And then they said this. For ye have brought. Now they're playing the blame game now. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness. Moses, it's your fault. Now here's one little thing they're forgetting. And this is another sermon for another day. But it wasn't Moses' idea to bring them out of Egypt. How many remember that? It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't Moses' idea to deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh. It was God's plan all along. It was God who called out to Moses from a burning bush and said, Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. In fact, if it had been up to Moses, he would have said, I can't do it, God. This is going to be too difficult. And so really what they were doing without even meaning to is they were actually blaming God through the man of God. For you've brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole... I don't know why that's funny to me. To kill this whole assembly with hunger. Isn't, was, isn't that dramatic? Doesn't that sound dramatic to you? Moses, you brought us out here to starve to death in the wilderness. 
And all the while, God said, hey, I'm about to rain down manna from heaven. I'm about, But you know what happened after that? Because they had got that blame game in their heart and in their spirit. Even when God started sending them heavenly bread, when they got tired of the bread, they started saying, Lord, uh, we're tired of this food. We're, we're, we're tired of eating the same thing all the time. And then they began to blame God because they weren't satisfied with what he had provided for them. The blame game, the blame game. The blame game, a very, very, very dangerous game to play. Amen. All right, number nine, and this is a good one. I, 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 I stand by this guarantee. I back this fully. Uh, this, there's, a, there's a lifetime guarantee on this one. Make everything about you. Make everything about you. I guarantee you, you'll be miserable and unhappy. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 14 and 10. But when thou art bidden to go and sit down in the lowest room, go and sit down in, in the lowliest seat, at the lowliest place, the table, the lowliest room in the house, that when he that bade thee come, when your host who invited you, when he comes, he'll say unto thee, friend, go up higher. Then thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. How many have ever known the kind of person who came in and they, they demanded the head of the table, they demanded the best place, they demanded the preeminence, they wanted everybody to look at them and pay attention to them, but that's not what the Word of God calls us to be. The Word of God calls us to take the lowliest place at the table and, and we are to humble ourselves. And then... God will exalt us. Let's look at that first. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 and 9. I believe it's behind me here. Let's read this out loud together, shall we? For I am the least of the apostles. Now, this is the apostle Paul talking. Now, I love this. We're going to read that again. Here's what. Now, think about this. The great apostle Paul, the great missionary, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people saved because of his ministry, and he wrote the majority of the New Testament. You can't hardly go anywhere in the New Testament without it being the Apostle Paul. Here's what he said. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. How many think that ought to be the attitude? Even of a mighty man of God, the attitude ought to be, I don't care where you are in the kingdom of God, rather great or whatever it is, there ought to be an attitude that says, I am the least among my brethren. I'm not worthy. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I wish we could get that old-fashioned attitude in our heart. I'm just an old sinner who God took out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a rock to stay. I'm not even worthy to be here today but I'm so thankful that I am why don't we clap our hands to the Lord and thank him for bringing us a mighty 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 long way amen amen first Peter 5 and 5 let's read verse I, I threw in verse 5 just because it's so good I just had to do it could we read this out loud likewise ye younger ye all the whippersnappers now all the kids all the teenagers Submit yourselves unto the elder. And Bishop said, praise the Lord. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with pride and authority and dominion. 
No, no, no. Be clothed with humility. Why? For God resisteth. Now, if you feel resistance in your life and you feel like that resistance is coming from God, then you need to check your pride level. Because God resisteth the proud. But here's what he does, and I love this. It doesn't stop there. But he giveth grace to the humble. Oh, hallelujah, I like that. Isn't the word of God awesome? Isn't it powerful? He resists the proud. Now, by the way, when I was doing a word study on pride and humility, we could just spend all day long reading scripture verses about humility and pride. That's all throughout the Bible, but I just chose this one. Now, here's what I want to go to. I want to go to verse 6. Let's read it together out loud. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. That he, look at your neighbor and say that he, that God may exalt. Not, my, not that I might exalt myself. Not that, that somebody else, you know, a lot of people are waiting for their pastor to exalt them. They're waiting for some man of God. to. Yeah, some people think, well, it's the man of God holding back my, my greatness. It's that preacher or it's that boss in my life. But you know what? It's God who exalts and it's God who brings low. And if you will wait and trust in the Lord and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. God will exalt you when in due season, when the time is right, when God says now is the season for me to lift you up, God himself will lift you up with his mighty right hand. Somebody ought to clap your hand to the Lord and trust him today. Praise God, praise God, praise God. By the way, I like that. I like the language of the King James that says, and be clothed in humility. How many know that, that well, maybe you, somebody dressed you today. I dressed my son this morning, but, but most adults, we, we got up and we clothed ourselves, didn't we? See, a lot of people want God to clothe them in humility, but that's not how it works. God says, I want you to clothe your, like putting on a jacket. I want, you've got to make a decision. I, I'm not going to wear pride today. I'm going to take pride off, and I'm going to get that off of me, and I'm going to throw that over here, but instead I'm going to clothe myself in righteousness and peace and joy and humility. It's a decision that we make every day of our lives. Am I going to be humble, or am I going to be proud? And by the way, a haughty look is one of the things God hates, but that's another scripture. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. All right. Am I running out of time? I am. We touched on this a minute ago. Number 10. I, I give my personal guarantee to this. I really do. If you want to be miserable and unhappy, glorify the past. Glorify the past. Now, that's not to say, I want to be very clear here. We should respect the past. We should give honor to the past. But one of the things that we can do is we can put blinders and we can forget. Just like the children of Israel that we just talked about a, a moment ago. They were looking back at the past. They were looking at Egypt. I can't tell you how many sinners I've known who their life was a wreck. They were an alcoholic. They were strung out on drugs. They almost died a hundred times and God saved them. And one little thing happens in the church. They get their feelings hurt and before you know it, they're glorifying their sinful past. Well, I had friends out in the world. They were there for me. The same friend that tried to kill them. Praise God. We have to be careful. 
that we're not glorifying yesterday and destroying the present. Sometimes we look back. I, I had some friends. Uh, they they uh, they went to a church, and uh, and I I attended <laughs> I attended a church with them, and they they hate. I mean. I had to stay away from them. Ever known the kind of person you just had to kind of, oh, Lord, I can't listen to that. They were always, always, they were just always, they hated the, that church. And they were always talking bad about it. And then years later, I saw them probably, probably 13, 15 years later. And I was in a conversation. And I heard them talking about, well, that church was so wonderful. And they were comparing the church they were in to that church that they hated 15 years ago. <laughs> I had to almost bite my tongue until it bled. I literally almost bit my tongue off. Because I'm sitting there thinking, you hated that church. You were horrible to that pastor. I'll never forget it as I had to avoid you. And now you're comparing everything in your life to that church. How does that happen? It's the blinders where we forget about the things of yesterday. By the way, they may, you know, we, we do that sometimes. We don't mean to. It's not always a bad thing. But it will destroy your present if you're always comparing right now to yesterday. Because we have a way sometimes human nature will forget the negative if we're not careful. And if you could go back, you would remember, oh, yes, there were things that weren't perfect then, too. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I better duck down behind this pulpit before I get in trouble. <laughs> All right. I, I, I give an extra guarantee to this one. If I could give this one a 200% guarantee, I would. Be critical. Be critical all the time. Get a critical spirit. There's a significant difference between helping someone improve. See, a lot of times we mask a critical spirit by saying we want to be helpful, don't we? There's a big difference between helping something improve and having a critical spirit. A critical spirit is never pleased. A critical spirit expects and finds disappointment wherever it looks. It's the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13. A critical spirit arrogantly judges. It's easily provoked. It accounts for every wrong and never carries any hope of happiness. Such an attitude damages the criticized as well as the critic. Biblical criticism. Now, there is biblical criticism. How many know Jesus made a lot of criticism to the Pharisees? Biblical criticism, though, is number one, helpful. Everyone said helpful. It's loving. It's always loving. And here's the, here's the most important one. Biblical criticism is always based in truth. It's always based in truth. Correction is to be gentle. It should come from love and not from a sour personality. Galatians 5 and 22 says, The Spirit wants to produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if criticism cannot be expressed in keeping with the fruit of the Spirit, it's better left unsaid. And if criticism is given behind someone's back, that's called gossip. And if it's not true, that's called slander. And the church said, Amen, praise the Lord. Ephesians 4 and 29, I love this. Let no corrupt communication, that covers a whole lot of bases, doesn't it? Let no corrupt communication proceed where? Out of your mouth. Or through the text message or the email. I think it all applies, amen. I had someone come to me and say, well, I never, I never expressed that criticism. I never expressed that gossip verbally. I just wrote about it. 
They thought they, <laughs> they, <laughs> they thought they'd found a biblical loophole. That's what happens when you're, when you're not keeping to the spirit of the word. You're just holding to the letter. Oh, no, no, no. That applies to the text and the email and the old-fashioned snail mail as well. We're not letting no corrupt communication. Someone said no corrupt communication. Nothing. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. How many want to minister to people with your words and, and edify one? We ought, to edi- we ought to lift one another. We ought to encourage one another in the Lord. That's what we ought to do as children of God. All right, this is my last one, and then I'll let us go. This is a big one. And next week we'll, we'll, we'll pick up the positive side of things. But my personal guarantee, you will be miserable and unhappy in your life if you attack the people who are trying to help you. As a minister, this is one of the, the, the most difficult things for, for me to see in ministry. Ministry is kind of like being a doctor or a nurse or something like that in the secular. You're trying to help people. I, I was in, I've spent a lot of time in hospitals, grew up, you know, I mentioned, had the open heart surgeries when I was a kid. And, and I would always notice that, that there would always be that one patient, that one person that the nurse couldn't do anything right. The doctors would come in and he'd throw stuff at the doctors. And I would think, you know, I was always trying to get on their good side because they had needles and stuff. And they had medicine and they had things that could make me feel better. So I was always trying, hey, I'm your friend now. Listen, doctor, I, I like you. And I was, because, because I understood instinctively that when someone's trying to help you, you don't want to fight against that person. You ought to let them help you. And sometimes we do that in the spiritual. The man of God's trying to help us, but sometimes help doesn't feel good. You know, when the doctor comes in, they have to give you a shot and and, and it hurts and you don't like it. But if you just if you wouldn't fight against it, if you'd wait just a few minutes, you'd feel a whole lot better and you'd be thanking that doctor for helping you. Sometimes the man of God's got to give you a little shot and say, this is going to hurt a little bit, but if you'll just hold on, you're going to find joy in the morning. If you'll just hang in there and keep a right spirit, if you'll just keep that bitterness and that anger and that rebellion... help you. He can help you. He can help you. Praise the Lord. Thank you for allowing me to teach a little, a little tongue in cheek today. How many want to be happy? How many want to be happy with your church? Happy with your brother? Happy with your sister? Happy with your husband? Happy with your wife? Happy with your children? Happy with your grandchildren? You know what we ought to do? Let me give you a positive guarantee. If you'll stand up and worship God with all your heart and with all your might and all your soul today, if we'll go into this second part of the service worshiping God with everything we have, He's going to give you a blessing pressed down, shaken together and running over. Why don't we go ahead and stand and why don't we just give God some worship. I'm guaranteeing you today, you will not leave this place without a blessing if you will give him all your praise. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you for your people, God. Thank you for my brothers. Thank you for my sister. Thankful for people who love you today, Lord. I'm thankful for everyone here today, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.